It's the way forward. It's like the solution when you don't want to go as dry as a sultana. You want some juice, but you also want a bit of that sort of caramelization and concentration of flavor. gardening friends and welcome to episode 20 from Pot and Cloche Garden Podcasts. I'm Joff Elphick, gardener, freelance writer and garden speaker from Gloucestershire in the UK. My thanks go to the amazing Genus Performance Gardenware who are sponsoring this episode. Genus are an English company based in the beautiful Cotswold countryside. Their range is designed by keen gardeners who understand how the right sort of clothes can make gardening more comfortable and ever more enjoyable. As you all know, gardening's about kneeling and bending, stretching and walking and being outdoors in all weathers and all seasons. The clothes gardeners wear have to work for all activities and in all conditions. And this is what Genus Garden Wear offers. Have a look at their website by visiting genus.gs. My guest today is Cathy Slack. Cathy is a cook, veg grower and writer who previously worked at Dalesford Organic Farm. Now she works full-time writing and developing recipes hosting supper clubs and cookery demonstrations with harvests from her veg patch. She's got a column in Borough Market's award-winning magazine, Market Life, as well as a regular slot on BBC Radio Oxford. Cathy's won the Young British Foodie Award and Soil Association's Best Blog Award. And the reason I've got Cathy here today is that last year her book, From the Veg Patch, 10 Favourite Vegetables, 100 Simple Recipes Everyone Will Love, was published by Ebury Press. This is what some people had to say, a fresh and tempting celebration of cooking what you grow. That was from Hugh Fernley Whittingstall. A gentle, useful book of inspiring, delicious recipes from Rosie Burkett. And also I noticed that she's got over 100 five-star reviews on a certain online bookstore. Cathy, welcome. Hello, thank you so much for having me. We were saying before we started recording that, uh, you know, we we spoke probably over 10 years ago and we think we've been in touch since because of uh, social media, but in fact we haven't spoken for over a decade, I don't think, have we? <laughs> no, I know. I've, it's, it's extraordinary how time flies because we were, um, you sort of scooped me up a bit and gave me a bit of, of um, at work experience when I first started out and I still remember it now. It was great fun. Yeah, that's right. I was working over at a cookery school um, just on the sort of uh, the south south Gloucestershire and uh, you came and helped out for a uh, was it a, f- a day a week or something I can't remember now what yeah, we did no, but, I uh, can't remember no. now either but it was wonderful <laughs> you also made me slightly less terrified of moths which was good oh. progress so uh, did I set a moth trap up or something or uh, yeah yeah uh, there you go yeah um so Kathy this this book um 10 10 favorite vegetables 100 simple recipes can you remember what those 10 vegetables are and how did you whittle it down from from (laughs) I don't know a thousand to ten yeah that was the hardest part um so yes so the the book's called from the veg patch but it's exactly as you say it's like 10 veg 10 ways and the 10 veg were really hard to pick but I tried to go for um veg that was easy to grow if you'd never grown anything before and most of it was growable in pots or in small spaces 
Uh, so things like peas and lettuce and courgettes and tomatoes um, are super easy in pots. And then things like beetroot, still possible in smaller spaces. And I think probably the most technical and least pot friendly option is the is the leeks chapter. Um, which, but apart from that, I was trying to go for things that would encourage people to grow, and also vegetables that I grow and love growing and like to put at the centre of the plate. So I was debating whether to have a herb chapter because I think that's a great way to start. But um, I wanted, I wanted everything to be. I wanted each vegetable to be front and centre. And herbs is a bit harder to find ten whole chapters where they're the centre of the dish. So. Yes. Yeah. But uh, I didn't get to include cauliflowers, and I love cauliflowers. Can't grow them for love nor money, but I'm really bad at growing them. But <laughs> I really love eating them. But maybe if I get a volume two, they can be in there. Well, yeah, and it's not to say you haven't included cauliflower, of course, in one of your recipes. So exactly, uh, people, fans of cauliflower shouldn't be disappointed. Now, this book is amazingly uh, illustrated throughout with some beautiful photos and. I think you might have been the photographer. I was, yes. You were. It, that's, it, a, that's another string to your bow, you know, uh, <laughs> gardener, chef, uh, photographer. Now, your publisher must have been delighted. <laughs> Certainly the budgeting team were more happy about it, yes. <laughs> I just really like, it feels like it's all part of the same process to me. So even as I'm growing the veg or tending the veg patch, I'm thinking, what am I going to cook with these harvests? And gosh, isn't that a pretty charred leaf? I must go and get the camera. So it all kind of feels like one process to me, which I really like from the growing to the recipe developing to the styling and the photography. I had quite, I had a lot of help with both the styling and the photography for the book. So I was very... Yeah. Happy. Now, I know you're a bit of an expert with smartphone photography. Now, did you indeed use a smartphone for this book or did you turn to your SLR, your DSLR I for, used, for the book? I used my DSLR very much. So I've, I've seen a couple of people lately do their own photos from an iPhone. Um, other phones are available, but really the iPhone camera is the best one. Um, and it, it is possible, but I, there's something considered about doing it on the DSLR and the quality is just much better. And when you're up close with the fo with the vegetables, which I like to be, then it's got to be a DSLR, really. Okay. Yeah, I didn't know whether um, modern phones, well, you're hinting that they might be, but whether modern phones were up to the job. And I, I suspect that maybe as the quality is slowly improving, that it, we may, well, we'll certainly reach that point, yeah. won't we? Yeah, yeah, we definitely will. And yeah. in some cases, I think we, we already have. But for me, I like the discipline of a DSLR and the quality it gives. So let's take a look at some of these amazing recipes in this book. Um, now, I mean, there's a hundred, so we're not going to go through them all. But for various <laughs> reasons, certain recipes just you know, just click with me and caught my attention. Um, oh, great. The, the first one um, that I, I thought looked really interesting was the frisée with walnut and roast grape. It was a salad mm. with garlic croutons. Now, interestingly, 
I've grown frisée lettuce. I'm sure I'm sure you do as well. Mm -hmm. And in fact, I remember growing it when when I was at the Manoir, Raymond Blanc's place down in Oxford, and mm. we had hats, little sort of um, paper cone hats that you would sit on top and hold in place with a piece of wire to blanch them in the middle. Um, so I distinctly remember that. But what really caught my eye, and it's something I've never heard of, is roast grapes. It's the way forward. It's like. The solution, when you don't want to go as dry as a sultana, you want some juice, but you also want a bit of that sort of caramelization and concentration of flavor. Um, so they're, and they're just lovely. And I don't grow grapes, but I have a friend in the village who does, and she has this huge glut every year and she gives me some which is fantastic so every year I'm going what am I going to do with them next which is why I've taken to roasting them but it's a it's a lovely addition to any salad but it goes particularly well with that slightly bitter taste you get from a frise. Um, same with any, it would go with radicchio or endives or any of that kind of variety as well. Yeah. So I, I effectively what you're doing is what you would do to a tomato, I guess. You're concentrating that flavour, aren't you? Exactly that. Yeah. yeah. Highly yeah. recommend it. Yeah. Interesting. Uh, that's one I'm going to try. Another one that caught my eye, really, it's your runner beans in tomato sauce. I mean, a, a, an incredibly straightforward recipe um i think what it is i have a bit of a love affair with runner beans i absolutely love them and it's probably partly because i was brought up with them and under the in the understairs cupboard my mother always had a one of those sweet jars that you used to buy your pink shri shrimps in from the old-fashioned shops yeah. and one of those with layers of runner beans salted I don't know whether that's a, a thing you've ever come across, Ooh. but, you know, you do a layer of runner beans, a layer of salt. And so throughout the winter, we'd always have runner beans. Um, and I absolutely love them. Um, I so have to say, I've um, controversially stopped growing runner beans oh. in place of flat beans, like yes. Helga beans and limkers, because I always got annoyed that runner beans get a bit woody and a bit furry, and then you have to string them and actually flat beans and helders and things are just like runner bean 2.0 you don't have to do any of that to them so I'm afraid I've abandoned the runner bean now do, do they climb you grow in the climbing varieties yeah. yeah yeah oh that's interesting well you know maybe people Sorry. could uh, not at all not at all I, I don't <laughs> think I'll be able to move away from runner beans for historical reasons but um, yes. <laughs> I, I take your advice but that that recipe I mean that's quite a traditional recipe isn't it sort of a an Italian recipe or something it's a it's a real classic and you see it in lots of parts of France and Italy it's proper peasant food but also because it's such a good way of preserving the harvest as well because you cook and it takes away that woodiness or if you've got a slightly older bean that's a bit big oh, right, then it yeah. deals with that as well because you cook it for such a long time and it, it it kind of breaks down a bit but also you can freeze it and you can jar it if you're a if you're a proper old Italian nonna you can jar it and boil the jars so it'll preserve for years and years but I just freeze it yeah yeah now let's move on from beans to tomatoes Mm. Um, now, what what varieties do you? You've got a greenhouse, I assume. What 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 varieties do you grow? 
I haven't got a greenhouse. Um, I used to have a greenhouse when I grew at my friend's uh, veg patch, but and it was huge and wonderful, and it had soil beds in it, and it was oh, just fabulous to grow in. Um, but since I've moved the veg patch back home, I have a cold frame. So I start the tomatoes, actually I start the tomatoes inside in the kitchen and then I put them in the cold frame and then they go in pots outside and it's not as good a harvest, but it's still worth doing. Um, and so I always grow Gardener's Delight because it's just such a reliable doer. Um, and I still think it tastes completely delicious. And then this year I've got a couple of um, black cherries and what else have I got going? I've got a green zebra growing as well, which I've had good success with before. And then something that begins with an M that I can't remember the name of now, which is a bigger, fatter, darker Oh, one. right. Yeah. Um, Mamand? Yes, that's yes. the one. Yeah. That's the one. So, uh, so yeah, busy times. So you grow them in the cold frames, and do they reach the point where you just open the cold frames to give them space, or are the cold frames big enough to no, contain them? I, no, I take them out. They oh, have right. to be potted on into outdoor pots eventually. So when they're a kind of foot high, they go outside. How did you manage last year? A lot of people were having problems Dreadful. with blight. Were you yes. zapped? I didn't get blight. And but I still did dreadfully. <laughs> oh right! <laughs> <laughs> I think I was away quite a lot because the book had come out in in the summer. So I, my watering and my feeding was probably uh, not quite as yeah, good as it should have yeah. been. But that's the nice thing about growing veg, isn't it? You go, oh well, I'll do it again next do year. Do again next year, exactly. Yeah, um, I, I was interesting on your choice of um, of tomatoes. The ones I particularly remember growing are. Um, sort of the plum tomato, like San Marzano. Mm. Um, and also I used to go, when I was at Barnsley House, I used to go a, a huge sort of big fat ribbed one um, called Costoluto, Costoluto Fiorentino, so an Italian variety. Um, mm. They got quite big. I mean, they're not record breakers, but I, I knew I grew one to about 14 ounces, so nearly a pound. So they're pretty wow. big. Um, yeah, I mean, average were half a pound, but, you know, that, that was heading towards a pound. So they were pretty hefty, yeah. hefty things. Um, but this recipe, the first recipe that catches my eye in your, uh, in, in your tomato uh, chapter is uh, a tomato lover's salad with anchovy breadcrumbs. Now, this I haven't made, but it really appeals to me. I'm, I'm a fan of panzanella, you know, that, that, that mm. tomato sa salad with, with bread sort of ripped up in it. And the reason I it particularly catch my eye is that I often chuck in anchovies into my panzanella. Not traditional, but I do. So I can see that what you're doing here is going to appeal Exactly. Where, where, where did you come across this and tell me about it? I just have a fairly serious anchovy addiction. I love them. And with tomatoes, it's so, I mean, for a start, you eat them like sweets, don't you? You just take them off the vine and just eat them. But then at some point you want to bring them into the kitchen, but you still don't want to do much with them because they're so incredible. So in this salad, you just slice them and mix them with some slightly dry, sort of semi-dried ones that I give the recipe for as well. That again, concentrates the flavor like the grape option we were talking about before. But the anchovies just bring out the flavor of the tomatoes, that kind of citrusy zing, the salt, something about the salt in them, I think, that really 
really escalates the tomato flavor. And wherever I've used meat or fish, or in fact, where I've used any ingredients, it's always in service of the vegetable in question or fruit in question to try and enhance it. So you wouldn't, I don't want people to eat this and feel like oh, it's an anchovy salad. It's very much tomato salad, but the crispiness of the breadcrumbs and the saltiness of the anchovies just, just kind of enhances the flavor of the tomatoes. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's one I'll definitely be trying. Um, Great. Next. Um, beetroot. Um, we all love beetroot, don't I we? We're probably, Introduction probably through a pickled variety, but uh, mm. not necessarily. Um, also, there's a, a number of ways to uh, to cook them. Would you mind just reading out the first three paragraphs of of, of that chapter about beetroot? Mm, yes, happy to. It's um, each chapter has a kind of essay at the beginning of it with a tale about. I mean, ostensibly, it's it's, it's kind of how to grow whatever we're talking about but usually it's some tale of how I failed to grow it because I'm fairly haphazard grower um and the beginning of the beetroot chapter is is called uh, the tragedy of the beetroot and the mole which I discover yesterday is about to repeat itself this year darn thing okay there is a mole in the veg patch this very minute as I write burrowing under the beetroot a few weeks ago, I noticed a couple of hills in the wild flower patch at the bottom of the garden, neat mounds of chocolate earth amongst the meadow. But I never imagined he would tunnel under the path, dig beneath the sunken walls of the raised beds and find his way into the vegetables, my vegetables. He surfaced first, and I'm assuming it's a he, by the way. He surfaced first at the end of the row of candy-striped choggier beetroot. Then he burrowed along the perfectly straight line using the seedlings for guidance, I'm sure of it, until he reached the middle of the row where he popped up a second time, dislodging more beetroot in his wake. And so the disaster goes on and it's um, it's definitely happening again, little bugger. What happens? Does he eventually just decide to move on? He seems to have oh, he seems to have quite a wide range like of area that he goes. So sometimes he's under the stone wall in the um in the path outside the house. He's also seemed to have found his way next door into their lawn. Ah. <laughs> he hasn't found his way into our lawn yet. And then I think he just comes I think he uses us like the supermarket, comes into the raised beds and I don't know how he's doing it, but I can't catch him. It's interesting. I've, I've, I look after a garden where they've got raised beds probably two feet high mm. and there's still a mole in there. You know, he, And it's got stone sides to it. So yeah. quite how he gets in. He must just at night time nip over the top. That's what I think. What are you doing about it? Are you just going to live and let live? Or? Yeah. Well, oh, and that is what well, he's gone. He's disappeared. Yeah, live and let live. Oh, you know, he, he's got whatever he wanted created what havoc he wanted and uh, has disappeared yeah <laughs> so annoying yeah so um the recipe that caught my eye in this chapter was the beetroot tahini and almond brownies mm. now the reason that caught my eye I i'm not shocked by the beetroot and chocolate i've come across it before in fact i came across it 
again, I referred to Barnsley House earlier, but somebody used to cook a chocolate and beetroot cake. I think it's an old National Trust recipe they found in the in the archives somewhere. Um, so I'm familiar with the combination, which is amazing. What I like here is not only the chocolate and the beetroot, um, it's yeah. the, ta- the tahini as well, which must add something extra to it. Yeah, I love using tahini in desserts. It's such a winner. And it's got that, you know how sesame has that slightly bitter tang to it in a way goes really like like quite high tannin levels almost it goes really nicely with the beetroot and the chocolate I use is very dark chocolate so it's not a kid's brownie at all it's quite a grown-up it's almost slightly savory bitterness to it which I really like and yes yeah Uh, and having that yeah it's the earthiness I think that is so lovely with 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 Mm. that particular recipe um Mm. Let's move on from mm. summer picnics with brownies to winter with winter squash and pumpkins. Obviously, we grow them in the summer, I know, but winter squash and pumpkins. Yes. Um, what varieties do you tend to grow? Now, I have a confession to make with my um, squash. I don't know what, maybe it's because you only plant a few of them. I'm really bad at keeping track of the varieties oh, yeah. because I plant like, I plant them in individual pots and I never have enough, like I sow them in individual pots and I never have enough um, labels to label each one individually. And every year I think really it'll be fine. Look, these four are obviously all whatever, Kiri Kiri something or other. Um, So I only need one label in this part and it'll (laughs) be obvious that they're all together. And then it never is or they get jumbled up or I move them around and I can't remember which one's which. So I just have to sort of wait for them to grow and and hope that I'll I'll recognise them. So I'm never completely sure, but there's always a curry of some sort. Um, And I grew Turk's Turban for the first time the other year and it was a faff to cook with because it's such a bugger to peel, but... Gosh, it's very pretty, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that is an amazing one to grow. Um, I know the chefs at all these sort of um, cookery schools and hotels I worked at particularly like things like the blue one, Crown Prince. Yes. That's, that's sort of a, a medium-sized... Um, that's a fan for me as well. Yeah. yeah, and there's that big sort of warty ribbed variety called Marina di Chioga. I don't know if you mm. know it. Um, and um, I think the reason they particularly like those varieties was they were... It doesn't sound right, but they were a little bit dry. They weren't overly wet. So when they were cooking them, if you're making some sort of, um, what do you call it, tortellini, is it? Uh, Something like that. You know, you're not flooding the place with excess moisture. So I think that's why they were attractive to them. Um, I'm also trying a butternut squash this year, which I don't normally have much success with because they need such a long growing, like need such a lot of light for such a long time. But I found one which I now can't remember the name of annoyingly, um, that's supposed to be very good for a British climate. So yes, quite I think, small. So I think the breeding of butternuts has moved on quite a lot. At one mm. point it was, uh, it just wasn't even thought about it, but I think they put a bit of work into it. So yes, it yeah. wouldn't surprise me if they've started to do that. Um, now that was lovely hearing about the mole. It gave us a taste of the book. Could you give us one <laughs> more taste perhaps with, with this uh, chapter, the winter squash and pumpkins. And for some reason you call it the unbuyables. The unbuyables, indeed. <laughs> Would you like me to start from the beginning again? Yeah, start from the beginning. Just do, just do three of those, uh, par- three, no, yeah. four, four of those paragraphs to give us a taste of it. Sure. The unbuyables. 
There is a group of vegetables which, when served up at the dinner table, will cause a stir. Present any of these plants to guests and conversation will falter. Faces will turn to the plate and questioning eyebrows will be raised. What is it? Where did you get it? Can I buy it at Waitrose? A pumpkin, the garden, and no. In fact, you can't buy it anywhere. These are the unbuyables, the class of produce to which only a grower has access. Broad bean tips, flowering kale stems, mirabelles, sprout tops, elderflowers, taberies, red sprouts, purple peas, kaolettes, cucumelons, rose geranium, lovage, hyssop, baby cucumbers still attached to their flowers. You will find none of them anywhere but the most specialist shops. They are off the menu unless you are willing to grow your own. <laughs> and most squash fall into this category. That's brilliant. Yeah, it's so true, isn't it? There's so many things that we grow that you can't get hold of. Um, I remember um, when I was at the hotel, one of the chefs uh, would come running down and he was particularly keen on the tips from pumpkin plants. So the growing tips. Really? When you pick them, you think, well, they're a little bit prickly. But he, yeah. used, to, he used to love them. Yeah. So uh, he was Italian, so he knew what he was doing with those. That's interesting. But, Do you know what he did with them? Did he blanch uh, them? Blanch them, I think. Yes. Yeah. Um, I never saw them again, so I can't. I never saw a finished dish. But that was interesting. Yeah. That's fascinating because I saw. I met someone the other day who was telling me that you can, which I guess is a similar thing. You can eat the leaf stems of a courgette. Which oh same I, sort of thing oh the leaf yeah. stem oh yeah which yeah. appear very prickly don't they exactly yes. but yeah. they said sort of peel them like you might an old celery and then chop them and blanch them oh, yeah I'll let you know yeah interesting you've just reminded me when I was at the manoir we used to first job of the morning was to go down to the polytunnel where we'd have to pick um, uh, courgette flowers uh, which hmm. I think you mentioned somewhere in the book and we'd yes. have, we'd usually pick about a hundred. Um, courgette flowers which for anybody listening they then stuff um, mm. uh, and serve um, of course the, the prize were the, the female flowers that had a little a little uh, courgette attached yes. um, that, that was a real prize um, but uh, yeah fond memories of that every morning 100 flowers yeah and then taking Gosh. them up to the restaurant that is a lot isn't <laughs> it is, it is a lot but it was a whole uh, polytunnel full so uh, you know you know how productive these plants are mm. Yeah, mm, exactly. So uh, the recipe in this chapter that caught my eye was the warm squash feta and pomegranate salad. It's such a winner because it's so easy as well. And it's a really nice one to do at Christmas because it the colours are quite festive, but it's also quite light, which I find I need after lots of turkey and gravy and yeah. roast dinners and things. Um, and you just roast the squash and then the topping is fet like nice salty kick of feta against the sweetness of the of the squash and those then bursting pomegranate um seeds. But then I put a it's a sort of ducker, I suppose, in a way. It's kind of coriander seeds and, and cumin and pistachios and almonds and a bit of chilli. And you chop it all up and put it over the top to give it just a bit of a crunch. Yeah, yeah. Those pomegranate seeds are um, something that we've started using in the house. My teenage girls always buy a pomegranate and uh, they get thrown on everything. <laughs> You know, because yeah, they are amazing little doers. explosions, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I really agree. They're really nice. Yeah. Now, let's move on um, mm. because 
as we got towards the end, now, which chapter was this? This was uh, Apples and Pears, I think mm. I'm in. Now, the one that really caught my eye, because I think it's the sort of thing I would eat and probably not stop eating, was the fried pears, blue cheese, and bitter leaves. Now, you know, you've got sweet, salty, bitter. It's all going on there. And you know that saying, uh, it tastes like there's a party going on in my mouth and you're all invited. Well, <laughs> this is the one. <laughs> it's um, Thank you. And it's a good combination of flavours that you can use in lots of different ways so in a salad it works really nicely but it's good you can turn the same combination of flavors into a tart or if you're having a canapé party which I'm sure you do every Saturday afternoon yes. <laughs> I know I do <laughs> um you can scoop all the filling like the the uh the pears and the walnuts and the blue cheese into a scoop of radicchio and serve it as a little spoon if you're feeling fancy and yeah, yeah it's got so many interpretations to it and if you haven't got pears you can use apples instead and um if you haven't your blue your choice of choice of blue cheese is very much up to you like roquefort is good but i really like something like a stitchelton or one of the uh raw um stiltons if you can and you know that kind of that kind of vibe no, that really caught my eye. That's going to be a probably a starter, I think, for me uh, oh, one great. evening. Yeah. Yes, please do. Now let's move on to leeks because you've got mm. a whole chapter on leeks. Um, who doesn't love a cheesy leek? Um, true. Yeah, but that's not to say I have. This is the one chapter where I've actually tried something, Kathy. You'll be very ah. impressed. You'll be very impressed. I when was it Sunday? Cooked the leek, chestnut, and cider crumble. Ooh, how did it go? Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Now, I served it alongside a roast dinner. Mm -hmm. So I sort of had a meal within a meal because it is a meal in itself. But Quite it, hearty, isn't it? It is very hearty. And my mum came and she said, I've got to have that recipe. So she's yes. taken it away. So it's probably going to be a family favourite from now on. Oh, great. Absolutely oh, so nice stunning. Know. Yeah, I'm and really pleased. So people can know it's basically, it's um, sort of braised leeks in cider um, with lots of lovely garlic and butter. And then on the top, the crumble is sort of, uh, uh, what was it? Wholemeal flour, um, oats. And mm. chestnuts, that's what was mm. really lovely. Chopped chestnuts in the top as well. So a little bit Christmassy again, a bit like the one we just mentioned. But, uh, yeah, absolutely stunning. And what a combination because that cider gives it that sort of sh slight sweetness, sharpness. Yeah. Thank you. Lovely. Yeah, it was, it's a favourite of mine, that, as well. And it's um, it's very – it's a bit hair-shirty, which I really like about it. You know, it's very whole. <laughs> it's a bit brown, isn't it? Yeah. Braised and good brown food. Yeah. We had quite a lot of debate when I was writing the recipe for that one because um, about how to describe it. So in the it, the way you arrange the leeks, to me, really matters. So I said – arrange the leeks in a single layer cut side up and all the recipe testers were like well I do understand what you mean but do you think some people might put them side down like I want the little rounds facing yes. upwards because it looks so pretty and that you can pack more in that way and actually yeah. they cook they absorb the water a bit better but there was lots of um slightly finickety debate about how we should describe that. well i followed your instructions to the to the words so, yes I, I recommend it <laughs> <laughs> so kathy um you're you're an author you're a gardener you're a chef a, a photographer and a podcaster 
I've joined the club. You yeah, you're very inspiring, oh, well, you see. Well, I thought, I, this is good fun. I've got to have a go at <laughs> So how long has the podcast been going? Uh, it's been going a whole five weeks oh, oh. as we speak. Well, yes. And what's it, what's it called for those wanting to it's, track it down? Thank you. It's called Tales from the Veg Patch. Okay. And it's just 15 minutes of tranquility and calm, which is what I get from the veg patch. So it's stories. My friend described it as vegetable jack and ori which i really like <laughs> so it's stories a bit like the essays at the beginning of the book about vegetables and what i'm doing in the garden and um so last week's episodes about how to buy soil and the joys of managing soil and then one of the other weeks is about foraging for wild garlic so we go out and about a little bit as well but it's very calming 15 minutes with some recipes as well it is it is lovely uh, i think you do a very good job there so uh, keep on Thank keep you. on doing that well, still learning, but yeah. um, nice to learn from the best, like yourself. So, thank you. <laughs> so, Kathy, what was the last cookbook you read? Oh gosh, <laughs> you have you had to, sorry, have... have you had time to read a cookbook? <laughs> no, I love reading cookbooks, and I'm trying to pick, and I have them sort of scattered about the house. So, I have some by my bed, and then I have some. Um, in the, in the kitchen and then I have some by the sofa and they all have slightly different purposes so the one by the ones by the bed are ones I like to read that I find comforting and so Nigella's always there cookie repeat her latest one is lovely um and then in the kitchen I have more practical ones that I go back to again and again for recipes so actually one that I got recently uh, by a photographer and vegetarian cook called uh, Joe Woodhouse. And it's his first book called Your Daily Veg. And it's a really good doer if you're a veg grower as well, because it's got lots of ideas for your harvest. Um, and then in the sitting room, I have probably slightly more coffee table ones that I like to flick through and look at the pretty pictures. So yeah, it really varies. Yeah, no, that's interesting. I hadn't ever really thought of it the way you've put it but yeah I'm the same for instance you know your book um is the sort of book I enjoy reading uh, um I mean I don't have reams of cookery books but I do have a few mm. um and books like um I think it's a bit of a classic um Simon Hopkinson's book um roast chicken and other yes, stories another I mean, it's a bit of classic, yes. but what I love and you do it because you give that little essay at the start and there's always a little bit of a backstory he does that doesn't he there you mm. hear when he first sampled it when he was in Tuscany or wherever and I love hearing about all that sort of thing and yet in the kitchen I've got an, one of those old generic cookbooks where it's recipe one two three four five you know chocolate brownies flapjacks etc etc yeah. and it's bang straight into the recipe yeah. no faffing about uh really basic not an author isn't even mentioned you know you know the sort of thing <laughs> and uh yeah so uh, but that's in the kitchen whereas your book and things like simon hopkinson's book are, are sitting room or by the side of the bed you know yeah brilliant yeah. great In that's what i was hoping for uh, good thank you so you obviously you're a bit like me and gardening you read about it all the time you're reading about cookery all the time but do you get out much and sample other people's food? And if so, where or when was your best meal? Oh, that's a really difficult question. If you can say um, without, you know, upsetting. Oh, yeah, no, you know, happily. Um, gosh, I do eat. I love eating out. 
And we had, I think there's two restaurants that I really have enjoyed very much over the years. Um, one more recently, which is uh, Coombs Head Farm in Cornwall. And it's a really small, it's a hotel, well, it's kind of a big house, really, and restaurant. Um, and they're very keen on the provenance of the food. So pretty much everything you eat is from the farm. And it's a small holding. It's not a big commercial farm or anything. So you'll get there and they'll go, we slaughtered a pig this week. So it's pig on the menu. Um, or And it's it's very confident and inventive, um, but not fussy food, which I, I really recommend it. If you can get near it, it's very <laughs> hard to get into because it's so busy. But um, And then my all-time favourite is the, and I'm such a fangirl of these guys, is the Ethicurian in Bristol or just outside Bristol. Um, and it's this gobsmacking kitchen garden. I really recommend it if you're into growing. Um, a walled garden on the hillside overlooking the Mendips and they grow pretty much everything that they cook. And they're really into um, preserving the harvest and fermenting. And like to the point that during lockdown, I love it because during lockdown they went, yes, this is a commercial disaster, but at least we'll have time to make our own miso. And off they go and start fermenting their own beans and things like this and vermouth and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So they're, they're a constant source of inspiration and a joy to visit as well. It's a bit like going to the theatre, going to the Ethicurian, because you book a ticket and you don't know quite what you're going to get and you arrive and they they feed you and you you have a wander around the veg patch with a drink and then they take you through to, to dinner and you eat in the greenhouse, looking like the old greenhouse looking out over the veg oh, patch. Oh, lovely. It's, yeah. That's fantastic. Now, um I don't, do you get time to listen to any of the cookery shows on the radio, things like The Kitchen Cabinet? and I love Kitchen Cabinet. What's, Jay Rayner, what's the other one Jay Rayner does? Um, out to Dinner. Out to, oh, I haven't heard uh, that He one. does one where he invites a celebrity along and he takes them to a very swanky restaurant and they just talk about stuff. But, um, oh, interesting. Yeah, but, mm, that sounds like a hard job. It does. It? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I mentioned The Kitchen Cabinet because I was listening to a, an episode recently where at the end he asked his... Uh, he has a panel of chefs or cooks, doesn't mm. he? And he asked them of their sort of kitchen secrets. And what he meant by that was, you know how, uh, you know, we all, all you chefy types, you know, you roast your bones and make your own, uh, make your own stock that you keep in the fridge or the freezer. Well, this woman who always says roast your bones, make your own, she admitted to using cubes, stock cubes. So... What's your kitchen secret? You must have one. Oh, <laughs> What's your little cheat? Anything. Your little cheat. <laughs> my my lunchtime cheat is um, sriracha mayo, um, which, you know, it's that Thai chilli yeah. sauce yes. that you can get. They make it in mayonnaise form and it's nuclear, but it's like the only dressing you will ever need. Oh, fantastic. Again. So you can mix it into raw slaws. You can put it in a wrap with avocado. You can. I, was, I, I wish I could say I was a millennial, but I'm not. But it's deeply millennial, um, and it's such a good. It's like um, it's like a way of making 
tomato ketchup okay okay yeah basically. all right so so yeah so you, you're basically eating jarred mayonnaise let's say that that's fine i'll tell you what yeah. you remind me of you you totally diss leek and potato soup in your book you do, do not like it do you you do not I like don't. it well <laughs> i've got to argue with it because it, leek and potato soup is one of our family favorites probably every oh. two to three weeks we have it with a bit of crusty crusty home-baked baguette or something like that but if you don't like it and you want to learn to like it, I've discovered a trick. Mm. And you put a great – what you've just said has reminded me. You put a great big dollop of kimchi in it. Really? And swirl it around. Yep. Oh, Absolutely delicious. I do delicious. like kimchi. Absolutely so delicious. maybe that's my <laughs> – Kimchi, just, I would also. Sorry, just for everybody would, listening, kimchi is sort of a fermented, fermented vegetables, isn't it? Is that? Yeah, yeah it's fermented cabbage, yeah. but very Korean, so quite spicy. Yeah. yeah. Sorry, you were going to say something. I was going to say I would like to corroborate this family favouriteness with your teenage children. <laughs> I'd like to hear from them if they really see. They would. Don't they like. would? And do you know what they say when I put it down? They say, "Have you put a glass of wine in it?" Because they can tell that they can tell if I haven't put a glass of wine in it because it makes a big difference. Yeah, interesting. White wine, of yeah. course. Yeah. So, yeah, well, I, I'm a little bit speechless for you. Not still not really. St- Sorry, <laughs> I'll try. I'll try the kimchi trick and and the wine trick. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, last but not least, where can people mm. find you? They've been inspired by our discussion. And they, oh. they want to find you. You're on Instagram, I know. What's your handle on Instagram? I am. On Instagram, you can just search Kathy Slack and it'll come up. But my handle is at Glutz, so G-L-U-T-S underscore gluttony. So all the gluts from the veg patch and the ensuing gluttony in the kitchen. Yes. And my um, website's kathyslack.com. Okay. So. Do, you, do you go anywhere else on social media or do you tend to concentrate on Instagram? Uh, I'm on Twitter, same hash, same same handle, uh, and uh, I don't really Facebook very much. No. I should do. But, yeah. <laughs> well, Kathy, thank you very much. Um, we're speaking on a little bit of a rainy day, which is the first proper. I don't know if you've got it there, but uh, not yet. We could do with it. Crikey. Well, we've got it in in South Gloucestershire, so uh, yeah, it might be heading your way. And of course, it'll bring all the snails out. So be be prepared, be warned. Mm. But uh, it, the garden certainly needed it. So, Kathy Slack, thank you very much for your time. Been thank you fantastic. for having me. It's been a pleasure. Well, it's so lovely to catch up after all this, all these years. And um, I wish you continuing success because I know your book might have come out a year ago, but you're still going around the bookshops. I mean, you've had a weekend of it, haven't you? You're visiting a I few. I certainly yes. have. Yeah, it's been busy, and I've got lots of events coming up over the summer. So, um, so come and say hi. Yes, well, we will. Oh, yes, those events. I mean, you just remind me. You do sort of um, dinner clubs, don't you? Things like that, or you'll you'll take yeah, over a kitchen I- for a night. Exactly. I have a regular supper club in um, West Oxfordshire in a pub called the Royal Oak in Ramsden. And then I'm at lots of food festivals over the summer. St Ives, Rock Oyster, Ludlow. It's going to be a summer of travels. which is going to be Oh, it's very exciting. Cathy, thanks very much for your time. Thank you. That's it. Thank you for listening. Please do take the time to visit my sponsor, the amazing Genus Performance Gardenware. They're over at genus.gs. In the meantime, may your secateurs be well honed, your leek and potato soup delicious, no matter what Cathy thinks. 
and your vegetable garden free of moles. I'll see you next time. <laughs>